Hello Common Ground West, this is uh, Anthony again, back with another question and response uh, to the slide of questions from the sermon and the sermon series. Um, so thankful for the honest questions and your all's faithful engagement. So far I haven't had any explosive feedback from this time, so I'm presuming, hopefully, that it is helpful and an encouragement and an invitation to feel safe, to wrestle with tough stuff, and to do so together. I think one of my biggest hopes in this series is just, I hate, I think that all of us are thinking about this kind of stuff anyway, but kind of do it alone uh, through Google and podcasts and YouTube and maybe a friend or two. And I would love, I love that the church is doing that. So even me doing this here is just an, an attempt to uh, let the church uh, with you and me together, uh, pursue sexual integrity together and learn from the Lord and submit to scriptures. And um, so all of my responses are just that. They're just responses to keep the conversation going. Um, and I invite you to write more on Slido if these questions don't quite answer or satisfy you or uh, talk with other people in the church and in your group. So um, with that, let's jump in. First question is, how do we faithfully respond to the proposed bills that are moving through our legislature that have the potential to harm people in the LGBTQ plus community? How do we faithfully respond to the proposed bills that are moving through our legislature that have potential to harm people in the LGBTQ plus community? Um, I'm pretty sure those bills are started to have gotten passed now i think um this question was from almost a week ago um and i'm pretty sure that they did so this is referring to the bills that i saw maybe i missed one or more but i saw one that said um the original one i think was restrictive of restricting teachers from doing from having like gender education uh, gender identity and fluidity and all that stuff with kids ages kindergarten through third grade. I think that was one bill. Um, second bill, I think, had was a, was a more recent one, a stronger one. It had to do with if a teen or a student was to come out um, and share that they were experiencing uh, either gender identity tensions or... Um, same-sex attraction if they came out to their teacher their teacher would be required to tell uh, a parent so those were the those are the bills i think were, were being shared uh, so first off um i <clears throat> this seems to get into um the kind of hairy topic of like what's the relationship between our our faith and the relationship with the state and um, the government and what we expect them to do for us. Um, I think, I do think, and there's a lot of history here that I may not want to get all the way into, um, but just the most recent history, I do think that the church has, the American church has, has made some mistakes by getting too political, especially, um, that's the, the Christian right has done the most, the most harm with this. Um, um, just accumulated a lot of political power and then used that to legislate Christian morality and Christian values, and that has just not been received the best by non-Christians, and many young Christians that grew up in the church have kind of like left the faith because of that. So 
there has there is some a, t- a temptation for Christians to to overcorrect a bit and to have the same value of what happens in the political realm as the Christian right had, but only um, just on the other side. So uh, to speak up for justice issues and that kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm torn on that. I mean, I just have some tension around it. I think like Martin Luther King did that really well as a Christian person, brought his faith into the public sphere and <clears throat> relied on on his faith to communicate the need for justice, in particular for black people, and uh, it was remarkably effective. He's a good, he's a great example of doing that well. So, so that just to say, in general, my my heart posture and just desi- ultimate desire is not to get too high on so-called political victories when the government seems to legislate my preferences, uh, nor get too low and despairing when when the government doesn't do that. And I, so um, in this case, if you are one that is, is really torn up about, about this, I would just, just not expect the government, which is not a Christian institution, it is not a representation of the church, it is not a gospel-centered uh, group or institution to, to reflect that, that Jesus' primary way of advancing his kingdom is by not producing necessarily a system or laws or policies which are influence people from the outside to obey them. Uh, sometimes you have to do that to guard harm, for sure, to guard harm. That's important. But rather, it's to um, his main desire is to change hearts, that we would, that his grace would flood into a heart and, and respond um, by making forming us to be the kind of people who are just and charitable and peacemakers. Um, and, and sometimes when Christians get too involved in the political machinery, um, get too high in, on the high, political highs and too low on the political lows and, and make that the main outlet of their faith, it seems to do, it just seems to have had the effect that people are less inclined to devote their hearts to the gospel. So there's so much more there. And I realize that, uh, you know, it's easy for me to say if these policies don't affect me. So I just would start there at least to say whatever grief we would have for this, we, um, we, we start with the place of, of not getting too high on the highs and lows on lows with, with the political stuff. So, so how are we called to respond then? Um, I mean, I, honestly, the, the bill related to restricting teachers from, from teaching too much on gender and sexuality to kids less than third grade I would, I mean, I would be glad about that. I think that it's probably good. I would, I'd rather, you know, for those early conversations to be started with um, parents. Um, of course, I mean, you can teach things related to respect and kindness, no matter what people look like and that kind of thing, um, and patience with people. But I would, I would rather restrict that conversation. So that part, I'm, I'm actually okay with. But I, I would totally grieve the fact that that youth that felt unsafe at home but felt safe with a teacher or another school official um, I, I would grieve that they cannot then share and let a teacher in without that teacher being threatened to tell their parents so how are we called to respond uh, to be people of that make peace and bring a non-anxious presence to, who, to the people impacted by these laws. So whether that be to encourage and listen to teachers, 
and school officials who are grieving this, who are concerned, who are anxious about this, to be a non-anxious presence. So I think we're tempted to either be a non-anxious absence where we just disengage from the muck and the suffering and that frees us from anxiety, or we are present and heavily engaged but highly anxious because we're worried about outcomes. I think Jesus empowers us to be a non-anxious presence where there is tension. And so to be able to sit with um, teachers and students and listen well, for them to feel safe at our church, to provide a place that's safe and warm, that people can be honest and share what they're experiencing. And um, I would, I would, yes. So I, I think that's how we're most called to respond. Um, if you are a teacher, and a student came out to you. I mean, I there's a part of me that would <clears throat> wonder how to how to respond. I could see a way to 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 hold that in confidence, uh, d- depending on the situation and how it could affect a lot of things, and just be open to the fact that there may be consequences from that. But I could just see a situation where it may be worth doing that. I don't know. I I as a person that's on the outside, I don't know what I would do with that. But I would I would hold that space for a teacher to share that tension with me without trying to control well you must share it or whatever i would just listen well so a non-anxious presence with students who are affected by this a non-anxious presence with teachers who are affected by this um a non-anxious presence with people that are freaking out about this that do get a lot of despair from um from political outcomes uh, to listen to their despair and be a calm and patient voice that can validate some of their concerns, but also just uh, be a model of peace and non-anxiety um, and a, a non-anxious presence with people that would be overly celebratory. Maybe there are people that are like so celebratory that they may not have a political outcome that seems to be in their favor, that they may not realize the potential effects it has on people and to be a listener there as well. I mean, I think that's the church's primary response in these kind of situations. Um, And um, yeah, I think my general approach to all things politics is to give ourselves away, not try to accumulate power for ourselves, but to give our power away. And so if we can use a vote to help people, um, I, I can imagine being okay with that. So um, I hope that helps, but in general, a non-anxious presence that is patient and curious and listening to people that are struggling. Hope that helps. Um, Next question. Um, When talking with friends who are gay, how should we suggest they handle their natural sexual desires while also encouraging to remain celibate? When talking with friends who are gay, how should we suggest they handle their natural sexual desires while also encouraging them to remain celibate? Um, this is where the real difficulty comes. Um, I have I, tried to kind of mention before, and I'll mention again this Sunday, Christians have historically responded to gay friends with alienation. There's no patience for the journey, no curiosity, no commitment to them beyond this. Um, it's very much in a rush to try to change them and control them. And that's alienation, not good. Uh, the other side is to totally affirm and just push them to live it out to the fullest. Um, I think that's relatively new. 
and it's getting increasing steam. Um, I don't think I don't think that's the the way. That would be more t- of the two. I'd rather do that. <laughs> I'd rather do that, but I don't I don't think that's the best either. So the other part is very gray. <laughs> it's a lot of wrestling and prayer and patience, um, invitation and. There's just a lot of confusion for 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 reasons beyond our you know you know in our culture that would make it probably really hard for a friend uh, to know how to best respond faithfully. So some questions though: Is this friend a Christian or not? Would they say Jesus is Lord? That's step one. If they don't, if you're not sure where they are with Jesus, I would definitely not wade into talking about sex. Um, we do we we surrender our sex to Jesus after we surrender to, I mean we surrender our whole selves to Jesus because we need him we're desperate for him and we are coming empty-handed that's how we come to the cross and we receive his grace and his mercy and we then trust him it comes from a full surrender then he's you know scripture says we are not our own we are bought with the price and so now we're called to glorify him with our bodies. And so from that submission and surrender and having tasted his mercy, we then trust him with what he says about sex. So I would see, you know, where is this person at with Jesus and scripture? Um, and then ask questions about that. Okay, if you're a Christian, uh, t- help me understand uh, what you what you want to do with those desires as a Christian. What do you think God wants you to do? What do you think the Spirit would have you do? What do you hear from the Lord as you read, you know, these passages or as you hear those sermons? Um, I imagine that's hard. Tell me about that. Like just the curiosity matters much more than the suggestion. So this question has to do with suggestion. I would just probably lean away from suggesting much at all. Just curiosity, commitment to them. And I usually trust the Spirit and Scriptures to do the work. Um, so I'm having a posture from the stage right now that's just trying to give clarity because I think clarity is kind and an organization, a church like ours needs to have some clarity, uh, especially if we have any kind of like, uh, yeah, things down the road, like would I do a gay wedding? That kind of, I mean, if I, if my answer to that is no, I don't want to wait to share that later. I think it's important to give some grounding to why. So I'm speaking with remarkable clarity right now, trying to be just clear to to help our community guide us through stuff. That's not normally the posture I take in a one-on-one with the actual gay friend. It's more curiosity and waiting and following their lead. And I'm not in a rush. And um, and it should probably, if, if I'm at a point where I'm going to offer any suggestion to them, they should probably know some of my own journey and my struggles and how God is helping me um, experience and live out with sexual integrity and uh, what he's taught me along the way. I mean, there should be some mutual vulnerability there, I would hope. Um, so yes, I, I realize this doesn't help, but I hope it gives some groundwork of prayer, of curiosity, of invitation to experience the, the scriptures together and curiosity what they would do with them and why. And um, But yeah, I would probably go that direction and see, and see how it goes. Um, some relationships... I wouldn't. I wouldn't say anything about it. I'm just not. I'm not invited into that degree, and so just commit to them as a normal friend. So some of this stuff. Think about what you would do if you had a close friend who was behaving in some other way that you think is in conflict with the scriptures. 
maybe a cohabitating couple. Like, you know, they're they're not gay. It's a boyfriend and a girlfriend. They live together. They're not married yet, but they're clearly, they're, they're pretending like they're married. How would you talk to them? You know, if you would just run up to them and suggest to them what they should be doing, that may not work either. I mean, I still think the same rules apply. You're invitational, you're curious, you're prayerful, you ask questions, you share your own story, your own vulnerability, you invite them to submit to Jesus with you and what what Jesus would see what Jesus would have for them when we do that together. That, that'd be my heart behind it. Um, hope that helps. Last question kind of relates. What are sexual desires for if we are single and can't express them? How are they good? What are sexual desires for if we are single and can't express them? How are they good? So this ends up being, you know, what gay people might experience. So, um, but it's for anyone too. I mean, like I've said in the singleness sermon, all of us start single and many times cannot control whether we get married or when we get married. You know, many of us may have wanted that far earlier than it happened. Many of us may still want that and it still has not happened. Um, and so many, it's very normal human experience to live at least for some time with sexual desires that we don't get to express in a way that feels most immediately pleasing and content to us. Um, and that also is true in marriage as well. So we should not even think of marriage as like, okay, pre-marriage, I have these strong sexual desires that I am restraining to death. And the second I'm married, I won't have to restrain again. I don't think that's real life for most married people. We learn to restrain, to go without, to self-regulate, to redirect those desires. And so um, this gets to a, a, um, some truth about this that I think is is... Uh, is true throughout Christian history, the way they've talked about different kinds of love, and I think is absent for our culture now. And that's, um, we have different kinds of love, and, and Greek words for that love is like uh, agape, is like selfless love. That's like God's love for us. He lays down his life for us. Agape, selfless, self-sacrificial love. Um, there's like a phileo, friendly love, and kind of like natural affection you feel towards friends that you, you would like and enjoy being with. I mean, God has that kind of love for us too. Um, I think it's a little bit easier love. It's a love that comes easier with, with friends and with, it's like a brotherly love. Um, storge is like family love that also you would enjoy, but it has some, some duty and responsibility associated with uh, like how you treat your family and your children and that kind of thing. And then there's eros, uh, which is like erotic love. And so the most worn down, distorted, simplistic version of eros is basically sex but there's a strong drive beneath the sex and you would know this if you've experienced sexual brokenness that people engage in that sex for deep reasons that are a longing a deep longing for for vulnerability to to fully know a person to be known by a person and to engage in union uh, with another person from that place of vulnerability and knowing and being known. That, that is the deep yearning for Eros. People uh, get hooked on porn because they're lonely and they feel some sense of connection to see naked images of men and women on the screen. Um, uh, people may sleep around hoping to be seen and to be known and to be affirmed to be embraced, to experience some kind of relational security 
where a person could see their whole selves and love them anyway. And so like Eros is heavily cheapened when we think it can only be fulfilled and expressed and experienced when we have genital contact with a person and experience orgasm. That anything short of that is unfulfilled Eros and I need fulfilled Eros to be full. Uh, we follow a person, Jesus, who experienced erotic longings and did not sin. Uh, Paul is another major Christian influencer, same way. He did not, he sinned, of course, but he did not, uh, was not married and so did not experience regular erotic fulfillment through the means of uh, orgasm and sex. And actually, sometimes when you experience that orgasm and sex and outside of God's will and God's desires, it actually comes with harm. So sometimes you would think you're fulfilling the, the desires of Eros love only to feel all the more empty and all the more alone. I mean, our, our numbers for how much sex people are having are high, especially yeah, in the hookup culture and that kind of thing. And yet our loneliness numbers are off the charts in our culture. So clearly lots of sex doesn't necessarily mean lots of fully knowing and being known, lots of unity, lots of healthy vulnerability and met with love. And so I think all of us actually could would do well to attempt to direct our sexual and erotic desires, our, that erotic drive for connection and union and mutual vulnerability and mutual knowing and being known uh, through the lens of agape. And so within a marriage, um, that means that sex is surrendered to the self-sacrificial commitment to the well-being of the other person. And so you let Eros as a, and a spouse to drive you to know the person and to be known by them, to share the full life, to take interest in them beyond uh, sexual genitals. And then sex will happen within that and probably be healthier. Um, but many times sex won't happen. And yet you have, have a, a connection that was driven by erotic the eros love of connection and unity and and vulnerability and mutual knowing um and then yet that can also be driver for friendship i've told you before when i'm a singleness sermon i know single people here who don't experience and express sexual desire within a marriage they don't they don't they're celibate people but have deep rich friendship they are known and they know and they ask great questions and they have rich conversations uh, at a higher clip than a lot of us do. Uh, they know how to pursue, let erotic, the eros, it's not so much, it's not, erotic doesn't only mean sexual contact, but it's a deep longing to be known and be loved, to be vulnerable with the person and receive their vulnerability and to experience connection through that. Um, yes, that happens within a marriage with sexual contact, but this we all have that kind of erotic push for connection and vulnerability and mutual knowing. And so I would encourage all of us, married or not, to attempt to connect with that deeper longing. If you experience sexual struggles and sexual temptations, uh, sexual sin, I would wonder if there's some deep knowing that has to happen there. And I, many of my friends that have experienced that, uh, that, that turn of, of in their lives has come from, uh, that, you know, if they experience a resistance to um 
or an overcoming of sexual temptation. It usually has come by way of a confession where they experience the deep knowing and deep connection and are they are vulnerable with the real human being. That human being meets their vulnerability with love and that begins to free them from feeling the need to engage with porn and unwanted, other unwanted sexual sin. So you start to see the connection. Man, I'm in the office now. I got random phone ring man never no one ever calls except when i'm in a meeting or clearly on a phone call here <laughs> um so uh yeah i think that's that's the gist of where sexual de- desires and erotic love can go and land when filtered through agape filtered through selflessness that you don't see it as a uh, a need that must be fulfilled or a right that i get to express but as strong desires for mutual connection mutual knowing mutual vulnerability and there are plenty of places for that to go in the church and in friendship and in family and in marriage. You do There is a genital contact, but still, that is not ultimate fulfillment if you don't have healthy dose of agape, of selflessness, and of a deeper desire to know and be known and to share with the person beyond just sexual contact. Hope that helps you all. I realize lots of questions unanswered there. I'm sure they're just stoking the flames. I hope that helps. Love y'all, and see you Sunday.